Six-pack Lapidat, I got my man Caffwe this time as co-host, and um, you, you had quite the world's experience, my friend. I'd say so. I would say so, and you were telling me, so for anyone listening, Caffwe's been on the show before, reposted him, um, you, we'll do a little bit of background so people know. People, when I was in the Worlds, people were coming up to me saying, I hope they load the bar right for Caffrey's last deadlift. It, be, like, it became a thing. Right. And people were messaging Paul. Um, Paul wasn't there, but people messaged me like, it was a good thing you weren't there for his last deadlift, huh? So for, uh, poor for, Paul. Poor Paul. So for anyone listening, um, me, Paul, and Caffrey live in the same hometown. And um, Paul was helping handle Caffrey. Was it the second competition yours? That was your this second was ever. My second competition ever at regionals. And, and you August last year. In terms of Caffwee's, uh, like rookie year in powerlifting, holy shit! You probably got to be like rookie of the year type shit. This is crazy. So uh, we started working together like after your first competition. You had yeah, your first I had competition. My first competition in March, and then when I was prepping for regionals, that's when we we started working together. Yeah. And um, knew you're all types of strong. Came in. I'd seen you, you showed me a deadlift. It was six seventy five. A little untidy, but but it was strong as shit. Right. And I think the at the time the national record was was that the national record? It was around there, it was, anyways. It was a bit. It was a bit higher. Was but a not close. a shitload more. Close, yeah. So um, so I knew you were you were definitely the raw goods. The strength was there. Okay. So um, started working together. Get on like a, a for real powerlifting program. There was like a lot of volume, blah blah blah, and um, and then going into regionals. For anyone listening, to break a national record, it has to be at a and this is a Canadian national record. It's got to be at either a regional event, a provincial event, or obviously nationals. Nothing less. So walking into these regionals, we were all thinking, "Hey, shit, there's a national record there. If if you're good for it, there's a national record. It's within striking distance." I remember I was I was out of town because Paul was texting me. And I yeah. remember I was on the road. So I wasn't in town when he was texting me. And Paul steps up and is like, because, you know, I would have liked to handle, but he's like, Paul's like, I'll handle I'll handle Caffrey for you. I'm like, okay, good, man. Let, keep me in the loop, though, and let me know what's up. Because the kid's got a dead on him. And and um, right there for that deadlift national record. So you compete. Um, and by, at the very end, I asked Paul, I was like, he's like, all right, last dead coming up. And I, and I was like, okay, cool. And I'm thinking, this is for the national record. And he texts me, and I, and I asked, like, how much, how much did you put on? Because I was driving, so I knew the dead had already happened. And he put, in kilos, 325. And I put, excuse me, pardon me. I, said, I was like, because the world record, for anyone wondering, was 325.5. Half a kilo away. Three. I mean, in Paul's defense, it was a national record. <laughs> <laughs> in Paul's defense, that's right. But I was like, I was, I read it, and I was like, oh, that's a fucking world record. And I was like, Paul, I, I was like, what the shit? I'm not joking you. I was like on the, on the highway. Pulled over onto the next exit and texted, and I go, Paul, sorry, I thought I read 325. You went 315? Because I think that was a national record. And he goes, no, we were, we were pulling for bronze. I go, Pulling for bronze, that's the least of what you were trying to accomplish, my friend. That's a fucking world record you put in Caffrey's hands. And um, you had gone eight for eight. Yeah. Well, the podium in. was already secured, so Paul just, I think it was pulling for second. Pulling for second, that's lose right. podium spot at that point. You're right, because you walked away with the bronze. Yes. Yeah. Right. So you got a bronze at this. 
And I was like, my friend, fucking, you, you, uh, you jumped over the national record to swap a bronze for a silver. He's like, what? I go, Paul, 325 is the world record, man. You guys are, he's like, oh, shit. I was like, all right, listen, no, it's all good. Um, that was in the summer. In the fall, we got provincials, and we're, we're going to take that uh, the, per, the national record. So walk in there, hit, hit like a like sandbag squats bench because we just want to make sure we take that national record. Boom goes the dynamite, smash the national record with ease, and, um, and we're like, okay, coming into nationals, we're going to give these boys hell. Um, so nationals, I had to lift early in the week, and I couldn't take like that many days off because right, uh, right. this you was out of town. To, you came back to Guelph. I came back to Guelph. This is out of town. Um, so I'm watching a live stream, and I'm, Paul's hailing you again. Paul again is like, don't worry. I'm going to step up to the plate. This time, no fuck-ups. I'm like, for real? He goes, this time, I'm, a, I'm right is going to be right. We're going to get that 700-pound pull. So, so I was like, here's the plan. Caffrey's got the national record, and we got we solid, we righted that wrong. Right. He's got the national record. Caffrey should be the first man ever to pull a 700 from Canada in the 83-kilo class. Right. He could be the guy. He'll be the first dude, Paul. That's the goal. Paul's like, don't worry, I got it this time. I'm a, we got this this time. Man, so when Paul says I got this, we should be worried. <laughs> yeah, we should be worried. And God bless him. At these Canadian Nationals, um, every single guy he handled went like nine for nine. Everyone qualified for the international teams. All of us made the world team. Like, he did a phenomenal job. Oh, it's sure. just, It's just, for some reason, I don't know what's with your last dead. So I'm watching live stream. I'm like, here it is, man. Somebody and I hate him off, I think. I, he might. You better <laughs> talk to people. I remember messaging the commentators for the national stream saying, better watch my man, Caffrey. He's going to be the first Canadian 83-kilo guy to uh, pull 700. And, uh, like, so they announced it on the live stream. Oh, we just got a text message from Six Pack Lab at that. And he said, watch out for Caffrey when we come to deadlifts. Your word is on the line Dude, here. and the thing is, so you come up for your last dead, and Paul put in 317.5. And on the monitor, underneath you and Paul, I see 317.5, and in brackets, 699.98. And I'm like, oh, shit. Paul, you could choose any increment because it's a national record. You could go up half a kilo. I'm messaging him. Paul, look at him. I'm yelling at the screen. Look at your phone. Look at your phone quick. They haven't done loading the bar. Once they say bar is loaded, you can't change the weight. I'm like, Paul, please look down on your phone. I'm messaging him. I'm messaging you. I can hear you. Because I hear you listening to music. I'm like, maybe he's listening on his phone. Maybe he's going to hear bloop, bloop. And then you got a message. I'm like, somebody look down on the phone. It's not over yet. They haven't called bars loaded. I'm like, please, God, look down. No, don't let it happen. And fucking bars loaded, Caffrey. And you you step up, smash it, you're celebrating, and then quickly dawns on you. Oh shit. It's six I was the first I was the first Canadian 83 low, 83 kilo to pull 699.98. Well, is, well, I'll tell you, Ryan, like right after I asked Paul, I was like, what I hit. He tells me 700. Oh, God. So I, like, I thought I hit it. I didn't know until I talked to my girlfriend, and she's just like, no. Plain and simple. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Nah, man. <laughs> That's and when it set in. This thing, if you're rounding, like, you could round up if it's just like um, any old number in powerlifting. Who gives a shit you round up? Yeah. But if you're trying to be the first ever, you can't round up. Right. Like, for instance, when Ray yeah. Williams was the first man to squat 1,000 pounds, Mm-hmm. He couldn't load the bar with 999.98 yeah. and then be like, hey, I was the first man to squat 1,000. Yeah. People be like, but dude, if you're trying to be the first ever, you can't be like the first 100-meter uh, sprinter 
to go sub 10 seconds, oh, and you're sure. actually 10 seconds point zero one. Yeah. You got it for real, real. So then Paul's like, ah, shit, I did it again. But the other note for the listeners, like their official scorecards, they actually did have that number highlighted <clears throat> in yellow, and it said 700 on their scorecards. That didn't help Paul either. He no. was looking at the scorecard. And God bless him. Look, Paul is a 74-kilo dude, and... Um, you know when you're in certain weight classes, you know weight range, you know national records, you know yeah. the world records because that's your weight class. And you know certain weight ranges, like I know, and, and like because I do like commentary, I see the numbers all the time on the board. So I already know uh, 317.5 is like 699 point whatever the shit because you see it all the time. Right. So you know rounding up is just being whatever, it's just a round up. Mm-hmm. Paul, if he's not used to seeing that number, 74 kilo class, that's not the type of weight usually being shifted around mm-hmm. in a given lift. So he's probably not, he doesn't know the national records, the world records, because it's not his weight class. Mm-hmm. And he's not used to seeing that number. So he's like, yeah, fuck it, that, that, the scorecard says that. Looks mm-hmm. like logic. But for me, if I saw that scorecard, I know they fucking rounded down on that scorecard. And, right. I'm, and I'm, I'm lawyering up and I'm suing the fuck out of him. <laughs> I don't know who made that score, scorecard. He's an asshole. <laughs> I'm getting he's, he's an asshole, okay? But anyways, so... Um, you make the Canadian national team. So you get a bronze medal overall, uh, nine for nine. You're on the podium, um, and, and you're, like, killing it. Like, you're killing it. Get a bronze, like, in terms of your progress, and get a bronze medal overall, and uh, you made the world team. So you and Isaac Bake from Canada are going yeah. to the world championships. And it's like a bit of a weird encounter. When you were on <laughs> one time when Robbie was co-hosting on the podcast, um, we were doing test water cuts for you. And I was telling anybody listening, if you were going to cut weight and start cutting weight, test it. Feel what it feels like to water load, have to sweat it out if possible, going to a hot bath, whatever the shit, and then weigh in and then feel what it feels like to rehydrate, then, then go shift some weights in the gym. And feel, it's just so it's not new. Right, for sure. Especially if you're traveling. So um, leading into it, and I always tell people, you have to. Oh, I think it's going to make, make me weaker. I might feel funny. Yeah. But at least the more times you do something, the more comfortable you are, the less anxiety. Here's another thing. Cortisol makes you retain water. When you're stressed, you're going to retain water. Right. The more you do something, the less stressed you are about it. Oh, for sure. Um, and uh, so that's why do it enough times you're comfortable. So when we did a podcast and Robbie was, was uh, me and Robbie were interviewing Taylor Atwood yeah. from Strength Guides, you were in my house and I had to tell, hey, Taylor, it might be a little awkward. My man Caffey is in the next room in my tub, <laughs> sweating out whatever the shit. And he's like, hey, it's kind of fucking weird for a Sunday morning. But uh, what hey, this set up for a perfect icebreaker when I saw Taylor yeah. at Sweet, and I was like, hey, do you remember me? I was the one in the tub when you were talking to Ryan. <laughs> yeah. hey, I was in, I was in Six Packs tub. Remember that? <laughs> remember me? He's like, oh, okay, you weird motherfuckers, man. I don't. Were you, what were you doing? He goes, nah, I was just chilling. He goes, you you water you practice water cut? Nah, man, I was just chilling in this tub. Why? What do I need a background story for that? That's normal. But um, yeah. And when I seen you in Sweden, you told me, go, yeah, I had a weird conversation with Taylor. That was a weird introduction. But he's like, okay, you're he the guy. He was cool though. He was cool. And then um, in the '83, when it was you going up, uh, in the warm up room, it's kind of surreal. You were telling me like, cause there was like. Brett Gibbs walk around. Russell's there. Russell and Brett were one platform apart, and you were on Brett Gibbs's platform. Yeah, we were sharing the same warm platform, which was pretty cool. <laughs> You're like, oh shit! <laughs> and I remember um, talking to Brett. This is like a funny exchange. I, so I told Brett, "That's that's Caffrey. That's my man's right there. Watch him out. Watch out for the debts. Okay, well, he's got a big ass debt on him." And um, we're just warming up and everything. And he was like, uh, 
So Brett doesn't listen to powerlifting podcasts. He obviously power lifts. He does coaching as his job. And he says, like, in my, in my part-time, like, when I'm time off, I don't want to be too into powerlifting. It becomes too much. And, like, mentally, emotionally, and then just period. So lately, people might, re like, recognize, because he did a podcast for a little bit himself. Okay. Um, and they shied away from that. And he did, like, a lot more social media shit, like, doing videos, etc. And now, if you follow him on Instagram, he'll do, like, spearfishing and, like, what he's eating, what it, just normal shit. Yeah. And he's trying to find that life balance, right? So he's... So whenever I hit him up, and I'm like, did you listen to the preview show that we did on King of Lists? And he's aware. You know, he knows what's going on, but he mm -hmm. just doesn't want to sit down and listen to him or whatever. He goes, no, nah, man, you know I don't listen to that stuff. I, I, I'm not going to listen to it. It is what it is. I'm like, oh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And then um, I always, like, ask him, you listen to the show when we talked about, me and so-and-so talked about you. We said, no, 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 I'm not listening. When we were there on the warm-up, in the warm-up room backstage, <laughs> he's warming up, and he's told me that I didn't listen to it. And he stopped for a second and looked at me and goes, Who'd you pick? And I was like, what are you talking about? Because he goes, you know what I'm talking about. On the preview show, who'd you pick? And I was like, why are you asking me, man? <laughs> you, said, you said you didn't want to know. He goes, fuck you. You picked him, didn't you? You picked Russell. And I was like, dude, I was like, don't get in your own head. Because he's about to go. Right, I was like, exactly. no, man, I picked you. He goes, okay, okay, okay. And it was a weird kind of moment. You know, like, um, sometimes right before you go, and you, um, I don't know if you should, you want to hear the breakdowns of people's analysis or you right, don't. It right. could get in your head. Oh, for sure. Like even if it, if, what if it wasn't him? You're going to be like, well, we had, we had, and Matt Gary, who's like run so many international competitions in terms of like being head coach for the U.S. Um, he does his picks and we do like our analysis and breakdown and everything. It's not just a off the cuff pick. So we can rattle you a little bit if we like pick against you and we say why. Mm -hmm. That can like fuck you up a little bit if it's you hear. It's one thing if you hear it like a week or two before and it's like ah whatever, but like right before an hour before you're about to compete. <laughs> exactly. And then you don't have the explanation. You're not gonna hear the analysis. You're like, well, and here's why. You're just like, ah shit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you should you should ask that. But um he's been in I think it was like his ninth world championships. So he's pretty mentally solid. Oh yeah. But uh but anyways, as the competition's progressing. Him and Russell putting on a hell of a clinic, hell of a show. Um, and uh, Russell, like, had that huge squat. Yeah, like, I fed the kilos, I think, 6.90 pounds. 3.13. Uh, I believe 3.13, yeah. It was a 3.13.5, whatever. It was 6.90 in, in uh, Freedom Units. And um, and it moved. It moved. It was, It was. yeah, it moved. Like, I don't, he, he like probably it had... Like, work, but it moved. <laughs> he, he had more. I don't know how much more is a good attempt because... It's easy, like the brakes come on quick. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When it starts getting heavy like that, good enough. Because if you put on too much and you miss, now you're going forward with just your second attempt. And Brett didn't have the greatest squat day for in terms of Brett's squat. Um, so he needed Russell to be too bold mm -hmm. and overreach and miss his third. He mm -hmm. wanted that because his, his third squat, Brett was actually a little far back. You boys were hitting, like, the 83 kilo boys. I remember on the broadcast, we're like, what the hell is going on in Helsingborg, Sweden? These 83 kilo boys, there's, like, the top five guys all hitting 600 pounds and up on squat. It was insane. Yeah, it was the number of stupid. I'd never seen that, like, um, there wasn't that long ago where there's two guys in the world, 83 kilo, that squatted 600, and that was John Hack and Brett Gibbs, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And now it was, like, everybody started hitting it at the top, like, in terms of top end. Um, so... Brett, I think, came in like fourth in the squad event. I don't even think he got a, a medal, which is crazy because he held the wor last world championships. He got the gold and took the world record squad. 
this world's he was dealing with some issues, but right. um, still, I mean, I, I mean, Russell's squad is the biggest squad we've ever seen. It probably wouldn't have been enough, anyways. But nonetheless, so then going at the bench, um, one of the surprises for me, uh, Russell actually got a bronze medal, and historically speaking, the bench was his weakest of the lifts, and he's tightening up. Like, he's getting good on all forms. He's not yeah. up there with Owen Hubbard and, and Brett. But, man, for him to get a bronze. That's big. Yeah, like, he, he's starting to become, like, all right, I'm not up there with those fellas, but it's not a liability. No. I can hold serve. You're going to gain a little ground on me, but it's not going to be as big as you think anymore. I'm tightening that up. Coming into the deadlifts. And this is when I'm like, all right, this is, this is when shit's going to happen. I went out back to the warm-up room. Because we've had some deadlift situations, my friend. And I remember... Um, I remember talking to you, telling you like, "This is your, this is your time. This is this is where you do work." And then I had a conversation with Jeff Butt, and uh, a, he he was coaching the the Canadian. He was the head coach for Canada. I was like, "My man can get a medal for sure. He's he's pulling in the seven hundreds, about six nine 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 eight to be exact. <laughs> but he's pulling into the seven hundreds for eighty three kilo. A couple things I would like to see happen if possible. And Jeff Jeff's a fucking phenomenal head coach. Oh, I said, sure. "My man, it'd be." Great if he can get into the 700s and be the first Canadian 83 kilo to do that. And he should definitely be walking away with a medal. Um, it'd be shocking if he didn't. But let's see, because there, there, there's some crazy weights being shifted, so whatever. And uh, if the world record's there, you know, if we got a shot, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's realistic for him. This isn't like one of these shot-in-the-dark things. Like, you know, we'll, we'll try. Yeah. And we got nothing to lose. No, it's legit if he if it's in his hands. Yeah, right before my third deadlift, he actually that was the first attempt he actually asked me about. It. He's like, "So the world record, it's there. Do you want to go for it?" And like without hesitation, I was like, "Yep." Really? <laughs> no hesitation. I was just like, "We're doing it." And let's draw this back a second for the purpose of storytelling. That regionals less than a year earlier was was basically the world record. We're talking half a kilo difference, whatever. Right. And you got that like two inches off the ground. You're like, holy fuck, that was heavy. Mm-hmm. And you had gone eight for eight. That was your ninth lift. And you're like, oh my God, that was heavy. Less than a year later, and we're like, load that motherfucker up. We're going for the world record. What were you thinking? Were you think like, how confident were you and how were you th- feeling about it? Because your, your, your lifts were absolutely phenomenal. Like yeah. that. You, you hadn't missed a lift again. No. Honestly, going in, I was 100%. Like, if they didn't load it, I would have been angry. <laughs> so, so, like, you, as soon as you, he said that to me, like, in my head, I was like, yeah, this is what we're here for. Because even in, even in training, we've been build, building up this moment. So, yeah. like, I was like, deadlifts is my lift. And if I don't attempt it, like, let's say I attempt and miss it, then shit luck. But, like, if yeah. I don't attempt it, it's like, didn't even try. <laughs> and this was, this was a tough scenario. So, there's the world record. Um, and then there's the first Canadian to pull 700. And then it was like, you can't, you can have both because the world record would be that, but it was heavier. Yeah. So you're risking one, which is almost for sure in the pocket, for an even bigger. Right. One of them on a national scene, it's nice to say. One of them is on the global scene. You're the first ever. And 83 kilo is a stacked division. Like, in terms of the male population walking the earth right now, more people are going to fit into the 83-kilo class probably than any other weight class. That's why to get to the top of the biggest talent pool is the hardest. Mm-hmm. And to do something nobody's ever done. And for anybody listening, to make it a world record, you have to do it at the world stage. Right. International judges, 
You know, that's why. And we've seen why in, when you fly out and do all this travel and show up at the world stage, some guys who hit things on regional shows, it's not going to be quite be the same. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're loading up the world record and going out there. And, man, this, is, this was the one moment where I'm like, like this is, this is the heaviest you would ever, would ever be attempting, obviously, right? Anybody's ever attempted on the world stage. And I was like, my God, man, I fucking hope you hit this. Because historically speaking, it was never on strength, but the last pull was always that dicey one. It's all come down to this. All the wrongs in the past can be righted and righted in a major way right here, right now. And um, what was it like walking up there and how to feel it? And walk us through after you actually hit that. Well, I had my music on. I think I had... I set up my, my songs for the deadlifts for my third one I had. It was J-Rock and Kendrick win. So, like, before going out, all I hear is just win over and over again in that chorus. And then basically walking on the platform, like, I didn't even notice, like, any of the surroundings or, like... Did you like, notice the crowd? Like, I like I heard it in the background, but, like, my eyes were just tunnel vision on that really? deadlift. Really? Because I thought, I, thought I thought we had a moment where we locked eyes and, <laughs> and it felt like it lasted forever and we communicated uh, without a word spoken. Was that just me? It was, it was just you, Ryan. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was just me. I mean, after, after we had our moment, but like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, go on. And it was basically like I just took my big breath, grabbed the weight, and didn't stop until I, I was standing with the bar, with the... It, I can't talk right now. Yeah, you, well, you get a little excited. And it, it um... Man, that, it moved like... Like, it wasn't a grinder. No. It was... And that was actually the one, like, frustrating thing for me, because... It moved so smoothly, and I feel like I had a bit more in the tank. So the fact, like, it was great that I broke the world record. However. But the, however. God damn it! Always a however with these! Always however. So Carl from Sweden chips me by half a kilo, and it was a grinder for yeah, him. It, it, like, watching the back, I'm like, what are the judges going to say? I was like, there's got to be three white lights. He hit it clean. They got it. Yeah. But... It was, like, congratulations for him. Like, he played it very well. But, like, in my head, like, after the meet, it's so frustrating, like, seeing him grind that out and how smooth I hit it. Like, yeah. knowing I had more room in the tank. And here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. It's like, um, it, you, that's where, when you get to pull last, you know exactly what you need to pull to beat the guy before you. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the most coveted position in powerlifting. If you can pull last, which nine times out of ten for you you will always pull last. So whatever medal you're going for, I want the bronze or I want the whatever medal you want to swap, load exactly the weight I need to take it. If it's This a, was my first meet. I didn't pull last. It was weird. It was, yeah, wow, no shit. But the, ironically, you could have probably. Right. But Well, like Brett and Russell, they had placeholders of like 350, so it wasn't happening. Well, so that's the thing too. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't going to, yeah. But they weren't going to pull that neither. Right. Someone had to blink first. Yeah. Um, and they had to blink. So when you have a placeholder, if you're listening, if you're wondering what that means, you throw down a placeholder last deadlift. You're allowed to change your last deadlift attempt twice. So to ensure I'm going to pull last, I could throw on 400 kilos. And then you're, and I'm, and I'm just holding that there so I see what everyone deadlifts, and then I'll change my deadlift last attempt, and then I pull. However, if we started off the deadlift event, and I pull before you with openers because my opener's lighter than your opener, I have to, obviously, I dead before you, as soon as I'm dead deadlifting, I have to put in my next attempt. You can always maintain pulling after me. Excuse me. So when I put in my placeholder after my second, you deadlift your second after me, you're just going to put in a placeholder slightly more than mine. Mm-hmm. 
if I go and change my placeholder slightly more than yours so I get to see your last dead, right. you're changing your placeholder slightly heavier than mine. So you could be like, look it, we both got two change attempts. We can use them up, but I'm always going to pull after you. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. one of those deals. The only way um, you would blink first is if I have a bigger total than you, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm winning, and I say, look it, if we both miss our last deads and have to go out and pull that placeholder, I win. Exactly. I don't need the third attempt. You do. So that's where, even though like you might be forced to go first, mm-hmm. um, just for a little strategizing. If you're wondering, hopefully I'm explaining. It's a little easier if I had the scorecard in front of me and had a straight up example. But there's a lot of strategy in the powerlifting. So in this given situation, um, the Swedes had themselves in the position where they were going to pull after you. So it really didn't matter. And this is where strategizing is. Look at, I said it before, I'll say it again. And, and I've said it on the commentary. The stronger powerlifter doesn't, doesn't always win. It's, it's the way it shakes up. Yeah. And in this situation with the Canadian team, they would be silly knowing this is the world record. Half a kilo more is the smallest increment when it's a world record. You're allowed mm-hmm. to chip it with half a kilo. You'd be crazy to put in how much do you think you have. Let's, let's go over the world record by three kilo. Right. You miss... And you're like, dude, Why it was a, yeah. yeah exactly. It doesn't matter if the world record lasts for um, one minute or one year or a decade. Oh, you were the first ever. That's what a world record means. You're the first ever to do it. So it really doesn't matter. World record's a world record. I'm so going to have to take it back now. You're going to have to take it back, right? So after it happened, now I'm the com- now I'm, I'm commentating in the world stream, and I'm happy as shit. Not only like do I got like on, on several levels. Not only am I am I coaching you, and I'm like have the, you know, I've seen all the work. I'm like there with you the whole time. And we're buddies. And you're Canadian. I'm Canadian. There's like several different levels here where I'm emotionally invested. And uh, so I'm like, oh shit, it happened. It happened, man. Caffey had his big third, whatever. And then when the sweet came out, God bless him. And you know what? Like, um, all right, yeah, that was tough when he took it back, when he Mm -hmm. took the world record. But... Um, Carlson, and I hope I got his name right. I can't remember if it's Erickson Carl or Carl Erickson. Is it Carl Erickson? I keep fucking up his name. I I think it's Eric Carlson, but I could be wrong. I think it's Eric Carlson. Yeah. Um, And he's a good guy. Yeah. He's a a hell of a a squad on him as well. But um, he came out, and one thing I'll say, whenever Swede came to the platform and we were in Sweden, the crowd absolutely went bonkers. Oh, you heard it. It it was like the roof caved in. Went absolutely nuts. And, um... True, like his 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 pull wasn't as smooth. It was a fight, but um, he hit it, which is all that matters. He hit it, and uh, the crowd it made it more dramatic. Yeah, because you weren't sure if he was going to get it. Exactly, and the crowd was willing him up to it the top to lock it moment. up. It built it. It was like a sporting moment for them. The home nation. He wasn't going to finish on the podium in total, but he's going to finish with the world record on the podium for deads. I believe. He might have been on the podium for squats too, but um, it's a great finish for the yeah. home crowd, the home cr- uh, nation boy in there, yeah. and um, it was a good sporting in moment. Instagram post even said like, "I got the bar to my knees, and the crowd locked locked it up for me." And, and <laughs> you know what? It was like it was it was one of those deals, right? So um, it was like what it is, what it is. If you obviously it'd be nice to be like it'd be nice if you just still held the world record oh, right for now, sure. but fact of the matter is, you got your world record, you got a medal in deads. Um, and you share the podium with Russell Orhi. And you actually have pulled Russell. Right. <laughs> right? So there's that. Not many people be like, yeah, I lifted Russell that day. Oh, and Russell's greatest day. And that was a phenomenal performance. Mm-hmm. 
And the host nation also got to have like a special moment. It's almost like, because we don't want to be too greedy, everybody had a moment. Yeah, for sure. You know, like the host nation got a moment. You had a moment. Obviously, Russell had an absolutely phenomenal day. And, yeah, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, Russell pulled what he had to pull to solidify the win as well. Russell, we could play this game too. Russell could be like, hey, excuse me, I pulled 325, and that moves smooth as fuck. That's true. You know, he, he's probably telling himself, ah, I mean, if I didn't have to pull for the overall win. Maybe I could have taken it. Yeah, so yeah. we could play that game back and forth, but. I mean, it wouldn't be a parenting meet for me if I didn't have a roller coaster with my deadlift. Dude, <laughs> it's never simple, cut and dry. No. You could have the biggest deadlift in the world, something's and it's, gonna happen. something's going to fucking happen. <laughs> and then you were telling, um, hilarious, I'm going to post this on the Kingless Instagram. Some of your friends. Oh, this was great. So, yeah, I came back, and one of my friends having a little housewarming party. I show up. He's just like, he gives me a box. I open it. On the front, there's a Guinness World Record sticker. Then on the back, there's a timestamp. I forget what time put it. It was basically like 3.54 to 3.55 p.m. Yeah, he times that for a minute with the world record. For what, I died. for what minute? You were on top of the world. Like, I looked at the mug, and I was like, oh, thanks, guys. Like, this is really great. I turned, yeah. and I was like, you assholes. You son of a bitch. <laughs> and then when you came home, there was like, a, and I liked the national news coverage you got. Like yeah. There was, because there was, uh, I got a couple phone calls. And um, that was pretty cool because it's good like when powerlifters get supported. Oh, for sure. And uh, they were like, how bittersweet is that? To break a world record and then like, um, you know, whatever, the next lifter up. And I told them, um, and it's true, it really doesn't like, honestly, in the bigger picture, every world record falls. All the record means is you were the first to do this. And that's the truth, man. Like, it's not like, um, like you were the first person ever to hit that. So it's not, it is what it is. Yeah, it'd be nice to have walked back with it held it for however the shit long, but there are world records some world championships. One of the master lifters, masters uh, lift first in world championships, break an open world record. Week later, it gets broken in the open. Right. You know, like shit happens, happens, man. Yeah. Like whether it's a day, a week, or whatever. And juniors... The records want to come and go. The records come and go. But for the future, we're hoping... Take that motherfucker back. Yeah. I see what I see. I want to get that top. <laughs> and you need to do an international competition to break a world record. So looking at it, I don't know if there's a... I mean, obviously, Commonwealth Championships is already solidified in terms of the teams. Can't yeah. go there. There was the North Americas, but I already declined my nomination for that. The North Americans, Pan Americans, which is this whole side of the world. has got, like, Brazil and, like, all the way... This whole side of the world, basically. Yeah. Uh, North Americans, us, the Americans, whatever... But um, it's all clustered in, like, the same summer. Mm-hmm. And you can't peak, like, every four weeks. No, and I then had a busy, busy schedule. Busy, man. Drop money. And not only that, your total. So leading into, like, your progress is so crazy, too, mm-hmm. that um, initially it would be we needed a big shakeup for, for nationals for you to end up on the podium and make a world team. Mm-hmm. And um, Simon Chang had bombed. No, didn't bomb. No. But didn't bomb, sorry. He, he came in fourth. He didn't have the best day. Yeah. That's right. Um, and uh, there was like we needed some shakeups like that, and like Sam's a nice guy, but hey, shit, you, you know, you, it shakes up the way it shakes up. We're like, okay, well, if this happens, that happens, you could end up on the podium in a position to make a world team. Right. And we needed stuff like that to make a world team. Now, um, you actually had the higher total in of like the Canadian champ Isaac Bake. Yeah. Hell of a lifter. You out total that worlds and going to this nationals. It's not the same. Your progress is so quick. It's not necessarily. You need people to fuck up. Now it's well, bring, do my thing. Now it's bring your best. It's gonna be competitive. Bring your best. Yeah, yeah br- bring your best, and we'll see what happens. You're right in there. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. But we need to make an international competition. We also need Yang Su Ren 
to um, not make an international competition. This dude, Deadlift Panda, but uh, it's weird, man, because he, he's got the American record. Right. Um, phenomenal deadlifter, yeah. but he never, he doesn't go in any international competitions. And I realized, look at Russell is the American champion. So going to the Worlds, you got to beat Russell to get there. Good luck. Good fucking luck. Right. Also, or if not Russell, Sean Noriega. It's a shark. Yeah, Sean yeah. Noriega is phenomenal as well. But Man, they have a whole pool of people who could be meddling up. They could all, yeah. <laughs> one through whatever could be. Well, no. I mean, there's Brett. There's other guys that throw out the world. But yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. However, there's other international competitions. That's why I've, I've told... Uh, Yang Su Ren, Deadlift Panda's Instagram handle. Dog, you got to go to North Americans, go to Pan Americans. They're not in the Commonwealth, but go somewhere. Go to an international competition, take a world record. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you come around, I'm like, dog, you're you don't need to do a world record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's y'all, you know what I mean? Just relax, man. Just keep doing your We're, thing. Fuck, we know how strong you, you are. You don't need. To, what do you need to prove to people? <laughs> That's not what it's about, a plaque. You know, you're bigger than that. You wouldn't want that. What the fuck you need that for? <laughs> Work on your squat bench, you know. But uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, yeah, the, we there's the provincials, and then um, I think next year, I think it's only every two every two years they have the Commonwealth. Every two years they have the Pan Ams, and it's the same year. So those won't be around next year. So next year, if it's going to be anything. It's going to be either North Americans or Worlds. Right. And we're probably hoping it's going to be Worlds, and that's Belarus. Been there. It's Belarus? Going, it's in Belarus again. Oh, man. It's a mixed Belarus all over again. So hopefully. But, I mean, 83 kilo in Canada, man. Isaac Bake is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's you two again. One-two mm-hmm. punch. That'd be phenomenal. He's he's a solid worker, good kid. Um, the guy from New Brunswick, too, Guillaume. He had solid lifts as well. Adam Ramsey, who does usually does a quip. Um, like a hell of a lifter as well. So I mean, yeah, man, Kenny's got some eighty-three kilo boys who are, who are good, but always something, always a caveat, my friend. There's always something with your deadlift, even though you might have the biggest dead in the world any given day. But we'll see. So uh, beyond that, how was how was your first world's experience? Man, it, it's crazy for me to think one year powerlifting, and this isn't one of the again, this isn't one of those weight classes, those freak weight classes. Fighting and Jack for a sec. I'm still a little salty about my, did you see my little scorecard at Worlds? They were messing up a lot of people, so they need to hire a new data entry person. Yeah, but, up? like, on my card, they, like, spelled my career wrong. They put, like, for my years of pathing, instead of one, they put six. They had something else wrong. It's kind of like, I know it doesn't matter, but in my head, I'm like, I'm a little salty about this. You're salty about this. misrepresented me. Yeah. One year, like, in terms of the first year powerlifting, because you, you're in the open, too. You're not, yeah. like, in the, starting in the juniors. In the open, in the 83-kilo class, too, it's not like you're starting off like as a 59-kilo where there's not a lot of 59-kilo dudes. Right. Like, if you're in Canada, U.S., how many dudes are you going against to make the national team? It's just not like dudes who lift weights are usually bigger than 120-some-odd pounds. Mm-hmm. So you're like in the shark tank and within your first year to end up at the world championships and breaking world records in the mix, man. It was crazy. It's a crazy trip, Kathleen. Like, this is a crazy... I don't, it's there's still not... like a pinchy moment. Like, go back to my first meet back in March. I never would have thought I'd be Dude, at the world championships. Like Your squat <laughs> went up, and you had to have this progress. Your squat yeah. went up like 100 pounds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and your bench is gone up. Like, how much has your bench gone up? Uh, so my first meet, I think I benched in pounds. Sorry, I don't forget the kilos. 308, and then at Worlds, I finished off with, I think it was 360. something yeah. Yeah. Like, 50 pounds again, man. It's yeah. crazy, man, like, your numbers. Yeah. And they're moving. 
Like, oh, yeah. like, the, like the weight's moving. And the, what shocks me is usually when you come in super strong with one lift, like the deadlift, and it's a top end 675 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Usually that, the other lifts will move, that one won't move so much. Right. Your deadlift is rocking and rolling, man. Like, that's a little bit, that's what really is, uh, like, you wouldn't, you would think, in terms of the cap, when you're on the upper end, the progress was slow when you're on the upper end. Mm-hmm. Overall, we knew you had room to grow, but we thought the dead's got to be close to upper end already. It's just one of those freak lifts for you. Guess not. And the world record moved pretty damn well, so it's like... Holy shit, man. We, uh, yeah, it's been moving well to say the least. Um, just a couple technical things and a lot of hard work. So uh, we'll see. But in terms of like when we first started, I, if you would have told me, listen, he'll be the world team and be on the podium with Russell and breaking world records. It's just a crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were my paraffin goals. I just didn't think it'll happen so soon. Yeah, <laughs> shit, man. One year. Yeah, it is a it's a crazy trip, um, and literally like flying out to Sweden and everything. Yeah. Did you have those moments when you were like, "This is crazy"? Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, was... there's people who powerlift for like ten years straight, in like to make a world team and to like be doing this kind of thing is like, mm-hmm. will, will never happen. It's just not gonna happen. Man, I remember when I first got the email. Like, I was at work and I was just. Like, I ran into, like, just a little hall, like, our little lobby, and I was, like, running in circles, just kind of screaming. Oh, like, shit! What is, what is this guy doing? <laughs> I'm going to the world! <laughs> Here's, and this is another thing I tell everybody. Um, so the plan going into Nationals, like I said, we were thinking, hey, look, to, to win it would be tough. But get as high as possible and go, like, apply for the world team. And I told you, apply. I don't give a shit if you come in first, second, third, or tenth, man. Like, uh, Apply. Because, like, always try to show up. You never know. Yeah. And um, so you came, got on the podium, and applied, and here we are. You get you get that. And I always tell, like, if you got a chance to go to the World Championships, don't balk at it. Because you don't know when that chance will ever come around again. Exactly. Who knows? The door closes. You came around within one year. You're breaking world records. Who knows who develops out of nowhere between now and next nationals. Some dude could come around as a total freak. Right. Um, and you only send two people in one weight class. When there's an opening from some other weight class, or et cetera, mm-hmm. that door might close as well. Mm-hmm. A freak comes in 83, a freak comes in in 93, and all of a sudden they're like, we're only sending 183 this year, exactly. and it's this freak. Go when you can, and you have yet a chance for that moment. So once you are invited to the party, you, you make sure, it. yeah, you take it, and then you show up on that day and dance. And, um, and you, you brought the girl that you always bring to the prom, your deadlift, and you dance, man. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's what that's I always tell, just show up. I felt like a child on Christmas morning. <laughs> and that night, it was like, I remember we had cocktails. Like, oh, damn, dude, oh, this yeah. has been a hell of a trip. Literally. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> was, those are some tasty cocktails. But um, today, we've been running off a little bit, but today we got Ashton Ruska, who, uh, speaking of, I hope he goes to the World Championship. So a little background. Ashton lit it up at U.S. Raw Nationals, 93 kilo. Um, and, and had to beat a reigning IPF World Champion to do so, which was L.S. McLean. Beats L.S. McLean, takes a national title, and instead of going the IPF route, he goes to the U.S. Open. It's a money meet. Right. I get it. You need money. Um, like, IPF title's nice, but if you actually think you got a shot at, I believe that year was 40K U.S., hey, damn. Right, like it's that's a whole nother, you know, it's a whole nother thing. And he's twenty, so he's probably telling himself, if I could take twenty k, 
and the next following year it dropped, or sorry, 40K, next following year it dropped to 20K, next following year, God knows if it keeps dropping. These opportunities, we just talked about opportunities, open and close. Mm -hmm. He might be telling himself, this might be the only time I'm going to collect a check like this, and I think I could do it. Right. Didn't happen, bombed out, but the point is, stepped up, swung the bat, either I strike out or I hit it out the park. Mm -hmm. Rolls around again to the following nationals and gets unseated in an upset by David Wilson. David Wilson beats Ashton, who had the unofficial world record total, and beats Ellis McLean, who was the reigning world champion, and David Wilson gets to go to Sweden, and those are the world championships that you just lifted at. So Ashton had the potential, and, and still has tons of potential, and a lot of height, and people are like, fuck, man, if he goes to the world championships, what could happen? Right. This past weekend, he debuts at the 105s, and posts um, a world record total, unofficial, that we'd never seen. And it was his opening, like his very first 105 debut. And he's a small 105. He's got time to grow and time to get bigger and stronger. And now the drums are beating. Mm -hmm. And the 105 is also very competitive. So everybody, I want to get him on the podcast and talk to him and be like, dude, we got to get you to the to the IPF World Championship and see what happens. Oh, that'd be great to see. Because yeah, it's one of those deals where like, the buildup's been years now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always something that happens. And he's a young dude. I think he's still technically a junior, but I have to check his age. So he's got plenty of time. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of when it happens and who's going to be there at the World Championships when he shows up. Because 105s, when we were in Calgary uh, for the World Championships, it was like the most competitive weight class for the men's. And it was just like back and forth world records for squat, bench, deadlift, like all the way through. It's just a phenomenal battle. So we'll see. So with no further ado, let's get our man Ashton Ruska on the phone. So we got Ashton Ruska fresh off of a crazy performance, man. You had been hinting for, for a hot minute you were going to make an intro into the 105s. And um, boom goes the freaking dynamite. Talk about some morning shots for the rest of the world. Uh, a 900 kilo total, and for anybody listening, the official world record right now is 895.5 by Vrzbecki of Poland. Did you read? Did you know heading into this that you were gonna drop a nine? Was that the plan? 900 kilos? Um, the plan was just to do better than uh, my last meet, 1930. So anything above that would have been great. And, and what did you weigh in on? What, Sorry? Was, what was your body weight for this one? Um, I was 208 pounds. I was uh, 94.4 kilos. So you were yeah. just a 105. Yeah, just a very light one. Yeah, very light. Like you, you. If you like, it would not take anything to still make 93. Are you planning nope. on filling out 105? Or are you thinking because you could hit if you made 93, which would be nothing for you to do so. With that total, a 900 kilo total. That's like. That's so far and away anything anybody was doing at the IPF Worlds. Um, it'd be like a huge, massive favorite. Are you thinking about doing some 93 shit that nobody's going to be able to touch and set a world record that everyone's going to be like, holy shit, that's yours for here on out? Or are you thinking, I want to go the 90, 105 route and gain size and just eat into it? Um, well, to be honest, I've always sort of been... Um to answer this question, I've always been sort of the kind of guy that likes to follow the competition. Um, the 93s, there is one guy, of course, that I think that's just, you know, really just magnificent. Uh, my buddy Jonathan. 
um, Kaiko, the one that yeah. totaled uh, 1901 recently. Um, but other than him, you know, the class itself, just the past few years, I don't know, it just seems to have been sort of mostly stagnant. A lot of the, the best players in that class all sort of cluster around that, you know, that uh, low to mid 1800s total. And then in the 105s, on the other hand, though, you've got guys that are, you know, more than capable of getting well above 19 on any good day. So for me, that's a little more, I'm a thrill seeker. So uh, for now, I'm sticking with 105. I love that mindset. Go where the it's, competition is. The thing is, it's, it's crazy because you're like, you'll be heavily outsized by these fellas. So you are you going to eat and get bigger, do you think? Or are you just going to be a small uh, 105er? Oh, yeah. I'm just very slowly gaining size. Like, at Collegiate, I was 205.9. And then this meet, I was 208. And that was, that's what? That's like two two months apart, two, three months apart. So I'm just very slowly doing it. But slowly but surely, I guess. Slowly but surely. So talking about the 93s, um, before we go on to the 105s. Yeah, the, the 93s, uh, Anatoly won it. Did you watch the IPF World Championships by chance? I did. I did. I watched the 93 and 105s. And what did you think? And 83, sorry. And did you watch the juniors as well? I did. I yeah. watched uh, the junior 105s and 93s. And are you still technically a junior? Yes, I'm 22. See, and this is what makes it even crazier because you're just barely a 105 and still a junior as well. But the junior boys are just lighting it up. Um, especially, yeah, especially in 105s. Before we get there, Jonathan Keiko, I, I remember Joey Flex had messaged me before it happened, and he said, um, listen to me, Jonathan is about to put together something that's going to get a lot of people talking. Last year at Nationals, I believe he came in around fourth. Maybe he, yeah. he, he was in top five, but off the podium. And um, he's like, he's going to put up a total that everybody's, he's going to get everybody talking. It's going to be a warning shot for the rest of the world. Um, dropped in a huge total, and I was a little shocked because the 93s, they got some good lifters, but uh, that immediately popped, pushes them right to the forefront. And then um, everybody's kind of wondering if you're going to want to come back and be tempted to maybe post a total, uh, you know, bigger than that. The problem with... Uh, in the IPF, you have to do an international competition in order to have like a world record official. Is That's your correct. Goal, yeah. Is your goal right now to make a world team and go to the world championships and uh, and make these world records like official and uh, and take that world title? Absolutely. That's the goal right now. And going yep. going into the one hundred fives, you have Bryce Lewis on the nationals. Mm-hmm. We'll talk nationals right now. Um, yep. Obviously, Garrett Blevins. And then Eli Burks, who just took the world championships, um, he, had, yep. he had it locked up before he did his last deadlift, um, so he, he could kind of play it safe. And, mm-hmm. um, like, the 105 is very deep division. Who, what are you anticipating when you walk in there? A, where do you think your body weight's going to be at? And B, do you think you would be the favorite walking into these nationals for the 105s, despite the fact that, the U.S. has had back-to-back years with world champions from the 105s. Are you talking about for nationals or the world championship? Uh, for nationals, walking into nationals. Okay, do you, got do, it. Do you anticipate being, would you say you're the man to beat, despite the fact we'll have two undefeated IPF world championships going in there? Because technically speaking, Bryce never lost his title since he won it. Um, what, what, are you, what are you anticipating? Well, I can certainly... Um, what I will say is I can certainly count on 
all three of those gentlemen and some other 105s, um, including Jake, who's who's quickly gaining on all of his lifts. Uh, the guy who benches like a lot. You saw that, right? Like the 560 like bench. I don't know. You might have to send it to me. I might have. Yeah. You might have to send you prob- it to me. You probably have it in there somewhere. It's like way deep in there because there's yeah. a bunch of lifters that you go over. But like, yeah, there's a guy that benches like 560 in the 105. And he's pretty, pretty insane. Which is ridiculous. Um, in a good way. He's a great guy. Yeah. But like, there's what I feel like is I can expect all of them to bring their best. So if I come with anything less than that, then the title for myself is already in jeopardy. But if I come and if I've been, if I keep doing what I've been doing, and I think I keep training the way I've been training, then I think physically I'm the strongest. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll just be a matter of putting it together once again on a national stage, which I've done before. I don't, you know, get too nervous or too jittery or anything like that. It's just a matter of, you know, um, it's just a matter of how I train. And so now I train a lot more strict ever since the last nationals. That was a title that I lost that, you know, I feel, you know, I always felt, you know, I definitely shouldn't have lost because I knew there, I feel like I was the strongest man there too. But at the same point in time, you know, I didn't have the best day and I missed squats on depth and it costed me and the guy who should have won did win. So, you know, I feel like this year though, I feel like I'm the guy who should win. Where do you feel you went wrong there? I feel like, so if we're being completely honest, at the IPF, and you guys know this as well as I do, at the IPF level and at the national level, um, judging can be strict sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you may be squatting to depth, but it may just not be enough. You you may need to convincingly, you know, bail your squats. Even when I was watching the IPF championship, you know, I noticed it a lot, you know, people that looked like they were, you know, legitimately squatting to depth, you know, crease below um, knee joint, you know, hip crease below the knee joint, but you know, it sometimes it just wasn't good enough, and they would get called. And of course, I wasn't sitting there, but I mean, you saw how the judges were positioned sitting, judging squats, which I thought was peculiar in and of itself, and something that should be brought up. But like, you know, I feel like um, that you just have to when you when I train now. Ever since that meet, I just feel like I've just always had to exceed the standard with that, with squat, with bench press. Um, deadlifts, I hold all my deadlifts really long at the top. I make sure it's completely locked out because I just, I don't want to, you know, I just don't want a repeat of that happening. And I am more than happy to lose a little bit of pounds when it comes to competition if it means securing a bigger total and still winning. Leave yeah. nothing to the judges. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And, and here's, the, here's the danger of um, when you're at the world championships, if you open with a world record, their standard, in terms of upholding the standard, they're leaning in and you, they're like, it's convinced me. This is a world record. You're going to take somebody's world record. It's convinced me. Where sometimes it's like fly under the radar for your first one. If you don't have a world record on there, it's just an opener. It's a heavy opener, but it's an opener. But if you're opening with a world record, now you got their attention and it's they're not looking yep. at it. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, they're automatically going to hold you to just a completely higher standard. Automatically. That's why sometimes I get it um, where you're like, look at it, I think it's reasonable. I think my opener could be a world record. Sometimes I'm thinking, ah, like when I'm commentating, watching, like, shit, I hope you bury this. Because if they're at all, usually I feel, this is what I feel like, and this is nothing official, okay? But yeah. I feel like if it's an opener, if, I'm, if they're 
they'll if it's they're gonna give it to you because they're not sure they won't take it away from you if they're not sure if it's a world record if it's a world record it's if i'm 50 50 i'm not giving it to you because you got to convince me to take somebody's world record opener just straight up opener 50 50 that's yours man i'm not going to put you in a bad position if i'm not sure i'm not going to give you a red it's the opposite i feel like if it's a world record now that's nothing official but i can see where that could happen to people so it's like it's tough you know it's it's one of those game planning and i see it at the world like they announce it the whole crowd knows opening with a world record everybody leans in and it's a dicey proposition um yeah yeah they're all just ready to sort of watch that yeah, you're basically announcing everybody look at me and pay close attention to my squat depth. But uh, looking at these, last year in the 105s in Calgary, uh, Rondell Hunt, despite being a junior, out-totaled everybody in the open and uh, got everybody talking. And I remember commentating on that and being like, holy smokes, man, this guy came out of nowhere and just rattled a lot of people because the 105s in Calgary – in 2018 was probably the deepest division, had a great battle back and forth, and of course Bryce Lewis took it in a massive upset over Versbecki. This year in Sweden, um, ML Nordland had a phenomenal showing in the 105 juniors, and once again, out-totaled everybody in the open. And, um, and he did in Sweden, and he looked like he had a lot more to spare. And um, he actually did a competition I think just like two weeks later, and again, put up a massive total, missed his last deadlift. Had he hit his last deadlift and he was right there, it would have been a crazy total again. I think uh, 1930. Yeah. It, yeah, it was big. It was big. So he's looking at some of these juniors, and then, of course, the 105s, you have all the same players versus Becky, who, who previously, he came back, and his last deadlift, I think it was a deadlift only, with no belt on, Outpulled anything from tested or untested, including Kaylor Woolham, who's a deadlift beast. And I think he did it on a on a no, he did it on a deadlift bar, but yeah. belt, beltless nonetheless. If, Still good. Yeah, yeah uh, crazy. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> if if um, if all of these lifters converge, Hunt goes because he couldn't make it. He couldn't make it because of politics back home, so he couldn't go to Sweden. If Emil Nordland goes in the open, Rondell Hunt goes in the open. Bryce Lewis says, I'm back, and goes into the open. Versus Becky, who wasn't there this year, goes, I'm back, going into the open. And Eli Burks, who would be the defending world champion, says, you know what? I think I would like, well, like obviously, if you're going into the 105s as well, somebody's going to go get bumped off the world team. But do you think the 105s would be the most heavily stacked world championships if all these guys converge? And um, and if so, where do you see yourself on the world mix, on the one hundred and five? I I think in terms of um, I think in terms of just numerically speaking and what they're all capable of, and in terms of number, um, I would say that now, if that were to occur, that that would be by far the most competitive class. Yeah, like by far, like miles. Because Jonathan, right now, I feel like he competes. There's one or two guys that really sort of have that stand a very strong chance against him. But if Jonathan has you know, the typical flex, you know, eight for nine, nine for nine day, then nobody's other, you know, nobody I don't think is really beating him right now. But with 105s, on the other hand, it's like, you know, and you're gonna, you got to throw Wilson in the mix as well because he wants to do 105. Oh, really? And, um, I didn't know Wilson's moving up. He's moving up. Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, he wants to. Oh, oh I don't know if that was public or not. <laughs> oh. It is oh, now. Well. It is now. Well, well, I mean, 
it's gonna happen anyway. At yeah. any rate, you know, like I, I feel like with myself, and then well, the number one reason I went to 105 was because of Rondell, and then the number two reason was because of Bryce Garrett and Eli, and the number three recently was um, Emil. I don't want to mispronounce his name. Yeah. Um, and then with Emil, there's also you know Wilson. He recently told me that too. So it's like with those you know six people and then myself, I was like, wow, this is gonna be. This is going to be fun. It's intense. So that's naturally sort of where I wanted to go. Um, and I think that the – as it stands right now, I think the biggest threat would by far be Rondell. Rondell, huh? On the world scene? Rondell, yeah. I think out of all of those guys, um, he's physically the strongest. But, yeah, I would say he's physically right now probably the strongest one out of all those guys. At the Nationals, who do you think is your biggest threat? When you're looking at that and you're thinking, you know what, this is a guy I'm probably got to watch the most. Because the Nationals, I didn't know Wilson. Wilson, man, I don't know how much he cuts, but if he's bigger, who knows? Yeah, he might lift better, a lot better. I think the biggest, the two biggest, it's two guys. I think it's Bryce and I think it's Eli. And I think Eli is the kind of guy that can go to a meet and put up the total that he needs so like at worlds for instance it's like yeah the performance may have seemed lackluster but it may have seemed lackluster on the outside looking in right but he did exactly what he needed to do to win eli is a lot stronger than that and he's already shown that and he's the kind of guy that will i think similar to me will adapt to his competition and if he needs to be stronger for that competition he's going to get stronger so I feel like with all those guys in the mix, Eli is a huge threat, especially like just like me. He has a very good deadlift. And, um, yeah, those would be the two biggest guys. Bryce, Bryce, because of his, you know, his consistency, and I can expect at least 1950 plus total out of him. And Eli, because he's just like he's like a chameleon. He can just adapt to wherever he competes. So that's something I've always admired about him. And that's the thing with Eli. So some people are like, yeah, his total wasn't wasn't crazy high, but when people what people got to realize is, um, so he missed his second squat on depth, retook it for his third without jumping up in weight, and still, even though he he didn't ever take his third planned squat attempt, he already won by his second deadlift. It was already a wrap. So yeah. like, like you said, um, if you're pushed, obviously you start loading up the bar. He they had anticipated the strength guys and the American coaching staff. We got to load the bar to pull for the win. It's just one of those deals because he's got a massive deadlift. If it's already wrapped up in the second dead, you're not loading the bar. Like, it's just, you're not, you don't have to do it. You're going to start dragging your feet. That's what they did. They jumped up, like, I think five kilo his last dead, and, and he did what he did. So it can be, if you're watching that performance, thinking, well, 855 is not a crazy total. 855 may not be what he's got in the tank. It's just what he had to, what he put forward because that's all he had to do to win. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you, you, and um, so you never want to look past somebody, especially a big deadlifter. Of, of you guys, do, who do you think would have the biggest deadlift if Wilson moves up, Eli's there, and this is for the Raw Nationals coming up, and then yourself? Who do you think's going to pull last? Hmm. If it's for a win, it's going to be me because I'm going to put whatever it takes on there. And here's the thing so this is where it gets dicey, and I love the attitude, it is true. This is where it gets dicey is um, when you try to pull last and you pull whatever you want for the win, 
it becomes if you load the bar too much. And do you happen to have? Uh, do you, can you pull your phone up for one sec? I want to pull up uh, some stats myself. Yeah. You know, meet us at IHOP when you're done. Um, that's fine. Did you see the new E? The new what? Yeah. Let's pull up the uh, IPF World's uh, results. I just want to see what won in 2018. Pretty nice. There we go, sir. So uh, what I was just saying there, Ashton, is um, in terms of pulling last, and that's obviously the, the best position you could be in in powerlifting because you know exactly mm -hmm. what you need to, to pull for the win. To get there, that means you have to open a little heavier. Uh, your second deadlift's got to be a little heavier because to maintain keeping pulling last. And then, obviously, Eli's got to be pulling before you. And then it runs the risk of possibly... If uh, you're overreaching, and then because you because you want to pull last, you're putting that big placeholder, right? And then you're going to see what he pulls uh, first before yourself. It could be, this is where it gets risky, is if you, you get stretched out because you want to pull last, and then, um, you know, he overextends you. Do you feel like your subtotal is going to put you in that region where you're all around like Mr. Consistency, Bryce Lewis, where you could build that subtotal where for them, it would be, um, if they try to put a placeholder dead to pull last, they're just going to be overreaching. In terms of playing that game, do you see the strategy? Like, do you, do you think you might even have the biggest subtotal of the crew? Um, yeah, I think the biggest subtotal would be either myself. No, I think it would be pretty close, actually. I think between myself, between Rondell and Bryce. I think those would be the three biggest subtotals. Yeah. Um, Eli and um, if Garrett were, I mean, it's three Americans, but if Eli and Garrett were there, for instance, I think, well, no, Garrett, Garrett would have a pretty good subtotal. Eli's subtotal would probably be the lowest. Um, Whereas Backy's subtotal would probably be um, a bit lower as well. But, um, see, it's, it's interesting what you said, though, just now, though. I, I, was, I was really in over in my head. I was thinking about it about um, opening heavy on a deadlift. So I would actually, what I've been doing lately with meets and why I've been doing pretty well in meets is because um, I've been, actually, I've been training to get like extremely and incredibly strong. And then when I actually perform at a meet, I sort of, I have a general outline slash plan of what I actually want to hit that I know is well within my means usually. So, for instance, if I go into that meet, I actually, on deadlift, I almost never open, like, heavy. I always open, um, like, the, the meet I did yesterday, for instance, I yeah. opened at 722. Oh, 722, wow. I did the rep, I think, in under two seconds, like, in one point something seconds. We always time it. And then I jumped to 804. And then I did that one fine. And then I never pulled over 800 twice in the same session. And then I did 821 after with, I think, a bit more to spare. And, um, for me, that, that gives me, I think a huge advantage is because I can do that relatively low deadlift opener and I can take a massive jump and I can do the same thing on squat and bench now too. So I can see, I can watch how the other lifters are lifting and I can take these light openers and I can do these massive jumps and then I can scale based off of what they, what I think, or what they are capable of that day. I mean, you're either, you can either do something or you can't. Yeah. And it is, you only have so many big deadlifts in you. And um, if all three of them, you're trying to go anywhere close to 800, it's going to be really tough to manage that in the same day. So that's where exactly. it's like, 
if your opener at least is a little lighter, it's almost like a warm-up, the last warm-up, you're still going to have energy for that last pull if you get a dead to win. Yep. On, the, on the flip side, I can, I can, my body can give two really big ones. I know that now for a fact. Yeah, that's good. And the intangible of having to cut weights out the window too, because you're walking around always under 105. You'll never have to cut weight for 105. We would assume. Um, but the the you do in terms of um, the risk reward for that is you got to hit that second. Because if for mm-hmm. some reason you don't get the second and you move forward with just an opener, you go from one to, with this like, division. Like eight. <laughs> yeah, real quick. So it's a bit of a all-in approach. And, um, and to pull, you also want a heavy second so that um, at the end of all the second pulls, hopefully you're pulling last by the second round so you can see what you have to put in for your third. If that makes sense, because if everyone's pulling before you, you know, all right, now I can see what all your thirds are. Even if you're going to change it, you have two changes for your, for your last deadlift. At least you're the guy who puts your placeholder in last. And if anybody wants to change their last dead, they go first, and then you go after that, and you're going to play that game. Where it's going to get dicey is at the U.S. Nationals, the fight to get that national team spot, when you and Eli put in that placeholder third, and it becomes like you can put in 400 kilo and be like, let's just see who's gonna who's gonna put what for the Dude, last. Who's gonna do what? Who's yeah. gonna do what? And somebody's gotta blink first. Somebody's gotta decide. All right, I'll go first and change my placeholder deadlift. And that's when it gets dicey, where it's like, who's gonna move first? You know, because somebody's gotta change it. Um, and probably the guy in the lead is the one who's gonna blink last, because hey, look it. If we if I'm if you're in the lead and you have a placeholder. Eli's slightly behind, and he is a placeholder. It's all good for you to go out, put a tug on the bar, and we both miss our thirds. You win. You win. Yeah, that's right. So that's where that subtotal is going to come in, in, as well as having that big deadlift. But yep. it, it will be interesting, man, when it comes down to the last deadlift, and both of you guys are going to be pulling for the win. And we've seen some Hail Mary passes come out of nowhere um, and, and just unseat people, as well as, obviously, Bryce Lewis is a uh, – Indications that Bryce Lewis is going to come to this U.S. Nationals. Have you been staying up and paying attention? Is is Bryce saying U.S. Nationals? I'm coming back. Oh, absolutely. I've been watching Bryce for the past. Did you get that too? Well, I've been watching him more closely now, probably for the past three years. And I would say, because um, I watch all of them, and I would say that um, yeah, he is definitely planning for a good comeback Nationals this year. He wants. To, I'm pretty sure he wants to win. I'm pretty sure he wants a world title again. And I don't expect anything less from him. And he hit 875.5 in 2018 at the Worlds. You just hit 900. Do you think it's conceivable? Are you Because that could be close. Like 25 kilo in a year is obviously possible. You've done it. Where are you expecting? Are we, could we possibly see a couple of you guys getting close to 900? Because um, when you start pushing each other, one miss and you fall back, it's going to be real tight. It's, it's going to hurt your total, yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those deals where you just said to lower your attempts slightly to ensure a higher success rate. Percentages is, is the game. And, and oftentimes when you see it at the Worlds, it's like, look, it, I'm 50-50, you're going to get a third if you're this number. I'm 80-20, you'll get it if you go five kilo less. So then it becomes a dicey proposition. Do you go with the 80-20 and build your total but run the risk of falling behind if the other guy gambles 50-50, and my God, he hit it. And when it comes to competition this tight, 
when it's Bryce Lewis, Eli Burks, Garrett Blevins, you know, and those fellas at the Nationals, and everybody's fighting for that national team spot. That's the toughest calls is those thirds where you're yep. like, shit, man, do I, do I gamble? Do I do the 50-50 gamble? What do you think? Especially Bryce. Bryce, because he will most likely only select attempts that he knows he's capable of, or at least whoever does his attempt selection. Yeah. That seems to tend to typically be the trend for Bryce. So unless someone really places heavy pressure on Bryce, which I don't think has really happened very often in the past, I think, I mean, there has been like heavy, heavy pressure on him to like pull for wins and stuff. But I mean, like where someone is actually goes in and they're just stronger than him and they can lift more, then, then it'll be interesting to see if that attempt selection is sort of changed. Yeah, because 100%. Um, he is consistent, and he does – I feel like um, unless he's pressured and put in an uncomfortable position, now his dead is workable. And his dead, if, if it shows up, he's, he's a sumo puller as long as the balance on the top is good. He can yeah, do as well. he can do something good, yeah. He can do something. He's that dude. It depends if he's hitting and missing. Um, so looking at the Nationals – it's one of those deals, if like because of your previous Nationals experience, it's tough because you're going to be asking yourself, do I take five kilo off the top and make sure I get that third, or am I going to need that five kilo less, five kilo less I got to pull for the win? It's one of those tough game plans. Um, are you mm-hmm. aiming? Are you aiming to replicate your 900 kilo, and you think 900 is the number you think is going to win it? What do you think going in in terms of a battle plan right now? is going to be the winning total for the for the 105 U.S. Raw Nationals? Well, if I am training and still getting and still doing what I'm doing and getting stronger and, and performing within my means, I would predict between 895 and 915. Holy shit. Because the world record right now is 895.5. Mm-hmm. So we're talking historic right now. Yeah. And also another big thing for me at meets personally is squat. And squat has always been a big thing because when I compete, I noticed in USAPL meets, a lot of the time they'll use like a Texas power bar. And for me, that means there's going to be like extreme whip. So that's already going to cut some poundage off my squat because strength wise, I'm going to be able to do it. And all my squats are going to look fast when I stand up, but going down, it's going to feel like hell. And that's usually what cuts like my depth, I notice. So even at the meet I did yesterday, for instance, like I already have, I'm already good for a 750 squat. I've done it before and I know I am. But when I was squatting on a Texas power bar, it was like, okay, this whip is like insane. I don't want to risk missing this and, you know, getting hurt or something. Mm-hmm. And then we called the squats yesterday at 705, which was perfect. It was super easy. I stood up with it. But like going down on each one was like a terrifying experience, like the descent. So, and plus, you know, at the end of the day, that 705 squat helped build that 900 total. Mm-hmm. And when I'm squatting 705, I'm usually confident enough to know that I can do it. I can sink it. I can stand up. I can do it. So for me, that being the biggest thing, you know, that would hold my total back, um, I've, I think I've sort of began to really figure out. And cutting some pounds off the squat in the meat for the sake of a bigger total is always an easy answer. Plus, the upside to that is it gives you a, gives you a better chance, I think, to deadlift heavier at the end. Yeah, if you got to load the bar for the win, which we're probably anticipating, you're gonna have to load the bar for the win. That last, it's gonna More come down to the last pull. Yeah, and, and and do you have? Are you gonna get yourself a bar to start training with and squatting with that is a little more whippy? Um. Yeah. I mean, at my gym, we have Texas Power Bars and Elite Ghost, so I've used I use both. 
just to get yourself ready for that. Because that whipping motion, especially when you're down in the hole, if that bar starts moving around on you, bullying you around, pulling you out of position, with that kind of weight on your back, I mean, the type of weight that you guys are shifting per body size is absolutely phenomenal at this point. You know, you guys are all getting like this. We've never seen these kind of weights being shifted. Um, I think the last time a guy your size was shifting this kind of weight would have been uh, Jesse Norris. And having yeah. said that, you're getting close. Now, what's Jesse Norris's, in terms of the Wilkes, Wilkes really didn't give a lot of credit to the 93s um, and anyone around that weight, that body size previously. But the, I I, the IPF um, points definitely does. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jesse Norris had um, the highest total in terms of IPF points that we'd ever seen. It wasn't at a nationals or an international, but he had the highest log. What was it? I think was it nine ten? That he had posted. I think so. I think it was like two thousand or the points. Um, I think his total in kilos was nine ten. Yeah, I think the total was like two thousand fifteen. Okay. Or twenty one. One of those. And and he did that. His body weight. Do you remember what his body weight was? Was it ninety kilo? I think it was ninety. Around there. So I think what, it was ninety. What would you have to post up? Do you think it'd be conceivable? that you can make a run at the IPF points? Yes. And do you anticipate at the Raw Nationals, are you thinking this is going to be a world at the IPF World Championships? When do you think you'd be ready to make a run at that, do you think? I think either hmm, probably a local meet, probably next year. Yeah. And yeah, it, I probably wouldn't attempt it at, a, at the IPF meet unless it was just like really there and my training had just gone that well. Um, just because I just always feel like that that was like, that may not necessarily be the meat to try to, to do that just because I mean, for obvious reasons, it's like the IPF meat. Most people, most totals are like kind of artificially lowered most of the time. Anyway, in those meats mm-hmm. with this year, with the exception of 66, 74 and 83, those were like phenomenal performances this year. Like I was blown away and yeah. truly impressed, but, um, 93 and 105, not as much, but, um, like yeah, I think like a local meet, I'll probably try to do that. Like, if I if I can get my strength up to where I can do over twenty one hundred in a training session, then absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think yeah, that would totally be possible. Or if I had just decided to do one meet at a slightly lower body weight and do that, which I easily could, like I would not lose any strength. Um, I could do that too. So um, I would say yes. Even this year, it's more than possible. But. Um, Am I really concerned, I guess, with attempting it? Um, not really, not yet, but probably next year I'll probably start to have that thought. Um, my best training total so far is 2020, so I'll be looking forward to pushing that after um, probably after nationals or during the nationals prep. Because it is also, you could easily do like a small water cut, nothing crazy, and dip down like 10 pounds of water. Shouldn't affect you that greatly. You'd have to get used to it. You don't have you ever done any water cuts leading into competitions? Yeah. I mean, before competitions, I actually typically naturally cut weight. So if I'm not actively trying to like keep eating or drinking, and if I can't eat, if I don't keep drinking fluids, I'm gonna actively just keep losing weight. How much wa- how much body weight would you lose? Usually like most meats I would do at two oh five, I'd usually weigh in at like, you know, unless I tried, I would weigh in at like one ninety eight or one ninety nine. Or like one ninety six. And, and that's just not, like, would you walk around at that weight or you just lost that body weight for whatever reason leading into a competition? 
they would just come off right before the competition. Really? And, and so would that affect your performance, you think? Because that's, that's legit body size, not even water that was leaving you. Mm, not necessarily. Not for what I would usually plan. Because I would usually plan numbers well within my means, and I would train to be much stronger than that. So performance-wise, no. I, I would usually still be able to have the strength to hit all the stuff I'd want to hit. And, and do you know why you weren't like eating as much leading into the competition? It's just like travel a little bit of nerves so you're not as hungry or why do you think you would just not consume as much and body size would go down leading into a competition i just feel like you know well without getting into all the intricacies of the physiology behind it i just feel like the simple the simple watered down version of it fight or flight kicks in and i just i don't feel hunger yeah i don't eat i don't like to focus on digestion every single um you know the those ashton ruska invitationals that people call it uh, which I think is hilarious. Um, every single one of those that I do, I um, I typically don't eat like 12 plus hours out before that. I always fast before it because I figure I always feel when I don't have to digest anything and I just like just intake fluids, I always can just perform much better and just focus on that. It's, so for me, that's, that's always just something been something with me, I guess. It's like funny because like calf weave, not to get too much information thrown out here for Caffrey, but for the longest time, he didn't have to cut for 83 kilo. I and was a late 83 kilo. <laughs> I, he, he'd be weighing in a certain amount in the gym and, and walking yeah. around, and I'm like, dude, you, you're, you're a little light. I would like to see you around like a buck 90 um, and drop a, a few kilo of water and then cut in so you're a little bigger. And um, the nervousness before like any competitions, doesn't matter where it's at, he would almost have like a natural like diuretic man. This food was coming through him. You know when you're nervous, you get the runs and you can't hang on to things. And um, I remember telling him, you know, there's some stuff you could take to help you like flush out water and food. He's like, oh, that's not a problem. I don't need, I don't need that stuff. That's, My yeah. body will do it naturally. It, it, yep. And I'm like, dude, how nervous are you? Because he, he's like, oh shit, I am like pun intended. I am nervous, man. Like it, it would it would be a local competition, and this dude was like letting go of everything he was eating. I'm like, man, we got to turn this around a little bit. Um, just recently though, you were heavier. Yeah, and it was a little. You just get more and more used yeah, to it. Yeah, so nationals and worlds, I actually did a cut, and like my nerves were fine. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, if you're not used to it, like the more competition it gets, you're right. Like when fight or flight kicks in. Adrenaline helps because obviously your body's like like you know the story of the lady who lifted a car off her child. The adrenaline can do wonders for your body in terms of what you could shift. But the downside, adrenaline in the body makes you not hungry, despite sometimes you need calories in the tank uh, for mm-hmm. fuel. And and it does things like anything in the bowels or or uh, like it's coming out. It could just like you could start dropping weight if you're not careful. Do you try to eat? Or do anything in terms of the calorie intake during competition and in terms of staying hydrated when your body weight is starting to drop? Like our 83 friend here, um, I've, I've, at first I really couldn't. It would just happen. But yeah. then eventually I just began to take really good control of that. And so what I, what I typically do now is, you know, the night before, you know, maybe at like 7 p.m., I will eat like a massive, like three to 4,000 calorie meal probably. Whoa, shit. Holy shit. That's what huge. is, uh, talk, what do you eat? Yeah, what do you eat? <laughs> I'm going to talk to me. Yeah. This It'll is be a, a lot of food. Like, I might eat like, you know, like two bowls of fun, like, you know, like four egg rolls, or I might eat like, you know, um, like I might go to Olive Garden and I might eat everything they give me. 
like everything, not take anything home and eat all of it or like, you know, something like that. Or, or I might eat like a whole pizza and then eat like ramen or two packs or something like stuff like that. I might do that before something really big like that. And then for me, that's always worked. I would just I would just calm down. I would just relax. I would do that. And then I wouldn't worry about the meat until like the next day. And then the next day I wouldn't eat. But I would just continuously, you know, sip fluids, drink stuff. Yeah. And that keeps me, that keeps me, I think it keeps me in pretty good shape, you know, stuff with electrolytes, things like that, you know, and, um, no, it it typically works. So you would anticipate basically, I'm not going to eat the next day because it's going to be difficult. So you just load up the night before if possible. Mm -hmm. And how does that feel? How does that feel when it's sitting in you? 4,000 calories is crazy. Although it'd be delicious. It'd be fucking delicious, but that makes you sleepy. It also makes you sleepy. Is is yep. it tough to fall asleep as well? Here's the thing: um, when you're an American and you go into the, the U.S. Raw Nationals, it's a gift and a curse. It's a gift because yes, everybody and their mother. You don't even have to be from the U.S. You're watching the Raw Nationals. The showdowns are phenomenal. Your people care because we just said everyone is going to show up at this Raw Nationals. You have two world champions showing up. Um, Garrett Blevins broke is an he broke a world uh, total for the IPF. Like he you did. have like world class guys, and that's one through three. Throw yourself in the mix. I mean, you could have one through five or six all world class lifters. So people care. People watch. Everyone's gonna watch your nationals. Let alone if you make a world team. And if you make a world team, you're like a star in powerlifting. Everybody knows who you are. Flip side. Right. Flip side of that, it comes at a price. The pressure, the the focus. You almost yep. can't be under the radar. Like you, you very quickly at like twenty years old, all eyes on Ashton because to win the nationals when you won it, you had to beat the reigning IPF world champion to do it. Yeah, like it's it's, it's a <laughs> tough ask. Whereas some people from other nations, they have they can develop in the dark where there's not so much light on them, so you can work this kind of shit out weight cut attempt selection you don't have that kind of pressure sure they can be like oh we don't get nearly as much love as the americans because the nationals aren't nearly as deep but you don't also have the pressure like as you've grown up in in terms of powerlifting with a huge microscope on top of you and a lot of a lot of light on you even even like the u.s open and the whole everything you've done um do you feel like this is very quickly escalated your your maturation as a as a powerlifter because you have to Yes, I've had to, at times, the biggest time was my failure last year at Raw Nationals. I've had to be able to really critically assess everything I was doing. I had to look at everything and I had to, at that point, when, you know, I've just gotten to a level where, you know, like, you're just, you're competing with the best and you want to be the best. You have, I just think that you have to, yeah, you have to take that objective step back critically evaluate everything you're doing and if there's anything wrong with it where something could go wrong you have to try to address it and um that's exactly what i've done um and yeah i I would say that me having won that championship at 20 which you know and even even that championship i my 705 squad i missed was on depth like i I hit it fine and you know that would have been like an 1884 total that day um but like you know, yeah, I think once you get to that level, I think once anyone gets to that level, you have to really critically evaluate and assess what you're doing. And you have to, of course, also critically evaluate and assess your opponents. And even if all you have is competition numbers, which what they've put up, that's honestly better than nothing. And sometimes it's not super indicative of what they'll do. 
but it's it's still better than nothing. It doesn't leave you completely in the dark. The advantage to what you're saying, though, is if you can do it at the national level and all that competition's there and it's heated, once you get to the world level, you're you're a little more yeah. um, you're a little more adaptable. Yeah. You're ready. Than I think the people that are in the dark. It's it's you're definitely yeah. In terms of um, like for instance, Meg Scanlon who came into the 63, or sorry, 57 kilo showdown at Worlds. Yeah. For her to go through the Raw Nationals um, and she shows up the world level, there's a lot of pressure on the American team. All right? And, and when USAPL posts, I don't know if you've seen, you've probably seen, obviously, on their Instagram, it showed, like, all the U.S. Uh, teams, like, like superheroes. And they're showing up. And it's like the U.S. team has a mark on them because everybody knows who they are. Some of the Europeans still pop out of nations, and you're like, oh, shit, came out of nowhere, didn't see you coming because their nationals aren't as big, etc. But the U.S., if you got USA on your chest, everybody knows who you are, and they're gunning for you. You're not flying under anybody's radar. Um, however, when you show up, you're also like, look, I made it through the U.S. Raw Nationals. That's a meat grinder. If I made it through that, I, I deserve to be here. I'm all right. I understand there's people throughout the world coming. This is the world's best, but you've dealt with the pressure. And, and you should be, to a certain level, ready. But the pressure's definitely going to... The scrutiny's going to be a lot heavier. One thing that I've said about yourself that could happen in 2020, you have all the potential in the world. Um, obviously, we're talking Jesse Norris level. If you start hitting IPF points like that, I mean, we're rewriting history here when we talk about that, when people talk about Jesse Norris. If you go mm-hmm. to the IPF World Championships... And you win the IPF Worlds, and you see what happened with, with Russell Orhey when, when he won the World Championships. That shit could change everything overnight for you. Like, the whole world recognized winning the U.S. Raw Nationals is big. Winning the IPF Worlds could change. Like, that. that's, that's everything overnight. Mm-hmm. Do you think, if you make the world team, uh, how, how do you feel like that's good? Do you feel like it'll be a big change for you? Do you feel like that's the one thing missing on your resume that you want to correct in 2020? Um, I feel like, hmm, that's a good question. That's honestly very difficult to answer. I, I guess my, uh, it's kind of like I said earlier, I guess the first thing, biggest thing for me was always sort of, um, just going where the competition was having fun and just doing it for the thrill of it. Um, I've always liked that, but, um, I guess as far as, you know, lifting accolades go, yes, I do want to win, you know. Um, an IPF Open Championship, at least at least once, you know, a raw one. I did a, I did a um, a junior one a long time ago that was equipped. Um, but yeah, I think that that's um, I guess as you use the word resume with my lifting resume needs. I think yeah, I think it, that would be it. Would also the be big next step. Like right now, the the Olympic Channel picked up the IPF World Championships and was running it, and the viewership on tour was absolutely bonkers. The Olympic Channel was uh, like super impressed. They have a bunch of these Olympic sports that they play on the Olympic Channel in between Olympic Games, like when it's downhill skiing, when it's you know all the different track events. They show it on the Olympic Channel, right? So for sports mm-hmm. enthusiasts, they'll throw on the Olympic Channel and just watch what sports on because they like like Olympic sports. Powerlifting got on the channel. Um, through a lot of jockeying by the IPF, hoping to attract mainstream sports fans. And the Olympic Channel is like, we'll throw you a bone and let's see what kind of ratings you guys bring in. Usually the Olympic Channel might tweet once throughout the day, hey, make sure you watch downhill skiing at 3 p.m. Powerlifting viewingship was so big. And we had like so many, the, the reaction to it was so positive. They are tweeting throughout the day. 
They were, they were telling us on the fly, we want two-minute intros before, not just every session, but every single, like, event, like squat, bench, deadlift. And it was huge. For yourself, um, going into the IPF World Championships, if you make the world team and you got U.S. across the chest, this could be some massive door opening for you. And, and right now, you got some spotlight and some heat on you social media-wise because of the numbers you're moving. But a guy like you who's bodied up, Moving some big numbers, it could be open a whole lot of doors for you in terms of if you took that world title. When you rest your head on that pillow at night, do you envision what Ashton's world's going to look like on the other side of 2020 if all this comes true and all this comes to fruition, how this might change your life and how you know, you're looking at the game and your position within the game and what doors might open up for you? Because some of these guys are getting sponsored. Some of these guys and girls get sponsorships. And in the whole nine, when this attention comes, you think about that kind of thing? Or are you like, I got to put one foot forward and not get ahead of myself because, you know, there's a long road ahead? Mm. Well, that's also a good question. Because um, <laughs> I've also, I've always been sort of a, um, I've always been a goal-oriented person. Um, short-term and long-term. Um, lots of, you know, 50, 100-meter targets, so to speak, things that are closer, short-term goals. And then, of course, I have my 500-meter long-term goal targets. Um, and while I haven't necessarily, you know, cognitively framed it that way in my mind yet, I have, haven't thought a bit about the way that you just mentioned to me, um, I think that a lot, what I will say is a lot of the short-term and long-term goals that I do have, I think very much coincide with that with the, those doors opening, with those things happening. Because I feel like I feel like if I do what I'm supposed to do, I stay healthy, I you know train to a very high standard, I hold myself to a very high standard, that a lot of things, uh, my strength included, are falling neatly into place. And it doesn't always happen that way. I understand that. But um, even in worst-case scenarios, sometimes these things, for me now, are still starting to fall into place. Um, and with just with the goals and the expectations I have set for myself, um, I think that I would be, I think that I'm, I think that I'm the guy to win it. Yeah. I think that next year, I think that I'm the guy to win it. That's just my opinion. I think that, you know, I hope that that in me doing that also, aside from just opening doors, more importantly, I think it, you know, I really wanted to, um, motivate more people to view powerlifting, to watch it, to get into it, to enjoy it and love it as, you know, hopefully as much as I do. Um, you know, it's all for, it's all for the love of the sport and for, you know, getting people to, um, to be active, to live healthier lives and to, you know, mm-hmm. be passionate or work hard at something, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I'm not, I'm not sure if that directly answers what you, yeah. what you want, and, but. And, and do you feel like, that lifter, champion of champions award, the best lifter, is also on the table for you? Now that it's the IPF Wilkes points, or sorry, the IPF formula for in terms of points and not Wilkes? I'll say that one more time, sir. Do you think the, um, the best lifter award at the world championships is, is possibly on the table for you? Because winning the world championships is massive. Winning the champion yeah. of champion award and being the best lifter at a world championships, a huge caveat to, to, to pop on there, like another uh, feather in the cap. Do you think that's possibly on the table there, if, if you can make it that far? 
Well, with the new IPF point system, um, I think it is possible. With the Wilk system, um, it probably would it would be a, a very huge, massive stretch for that to occur. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't really believe that anything's impossible. Um, I think it'd still be possible. But I think with the IPF points, I think I stand a much better chance of being able to to be a best lifter mm-hmm. for that meet. And coming into the World Championships, let's let's move ahead. Let's say you make it because more than likely you got to be number one or two in the U.S. And I would say you're a favorite to be number one or two based off of previous performances. You're up there, certainly. Um, so let's say you make the world team and, and you're moving forward okay. to the world championships. We're looking at, we're thinking, Rondell Hunt is your, probably the number one opposition. But does Becky, in terms of loading that bar, you know everybody's got, it's like the Kimberly Walford effect, where it's like, damn it, this person's going to load the bar for the win every freaking time. And almost always pulls it off. Now, Verzbecki's shown some chinks in his armor. Um, Calgary was one of them. But he's got that, he's got the same feel in terms of um, he's always going to load the bar for the win at the end. With his, with that big deadlift, do you feel like, is he, is he the one guy that at the end of the day, you won't be able to breathe a sigh of relief until he deads? Or do you think for the first time, you'll be deading last when Verzbecki is actually in the hunt. After what you just saw with his beltless, biggest deadlift of all time, you know, outpulling uh, Kaylor Woolham, what was that deadlift? Do you remember what the deadlift was? I think it was... Um, 953, I think. 953, which in... Can you pull on your uh, calculator? 953 in terms of uh, yeah, give me a kilo. Second. But, um, yeah, do you... Shoot. Do you think? I think. What do you feel about that? Do you think like because that's nerve wracking to not pull last? What, do you think you're going to pull last, or do you? What do you think is going to happen? Um, that's a good question. I may may or may not be pulling last, but I think I will be pulling for the win. Um, and I guess it really just depends on what he's capable of. Um, him, him, and and Rondell. Rondell is also just an absolute. I think he will also be pulling for a win. Um. And I even still think that Rondell is the bigger threat, if we're being completely honest here. Yeah, which is crazy. But because um, I think he just has, I think he has more potential, like more. I think he has more left in him than whereas back he does. If that really makes any sense. But um, but whereas back yeah, he can, he can. I think he, he may be. I think himself or me would be the last puller. Um, and again, like. Sumo in a, in a deadlift bar, like it's still 953 pounds and he's still really strong, but that does make a huge, huge difference. I know for my deadlift, it makes a huge, huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, me being typically most of the time a conventional puller, um, some say that puts you at a disadvantage. I don't really believe that. I mean, you just get at what you do, whether it's, it's either one. Um, I can do both. And whatever, whichever way the pendulum swings is usually the one that I want to compete with. But um, just based off of my last performance yesterday, um, hitting 821 the way I did, mm-hmm. um, I think that it's there's a possibility that I could be the last puller. But um, whereas back, he definitely would not make that easy. And, and could Hunt, you think, conceivably pull us? This is like where the tough, it gets into the tough situation I see at the World Championships where you have to start making the call, do I try to pull last or do I just try to pull within my means do my best possible total and, and try to push these guys beyond their limit and, 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 and pull and miss their last one. 
it gets tough because at the world level, you almost, you know, you get pushed right to that limit, right to that bar by the opposition. And loading the bar for your third attempt becomes one of those dicey propositions. I know what you mean reverse Becky. When you're pulling sumo and it's, and it's that deadlift bar, et cetera, it's a little bit easier, right? Um, and I've also noticed in your training, you're doing a lot of almost all three lifts in the same day with the, with the heavy singles or, to, or triples. Is this new? I feel like that's somewhat new for your training. Yeah, this is um, something that I've been doing. Um, yeah, I started this sort of training um, very recently, a few months ago. That around pretty close to the last time we talked is when I really started to get into that. Mm-hmm. And and since then, I've been continuously refining it. And earlier, um, I had mentioned, and this is all going to lead back to exactly what you're saying. And, and earlier, I had been. Um, mentioning you know that when you get i think to a particular level you have to critically assess and evaluate everything that you're really doing um i think sometimes you got to cut out some fluff i think sometimes you have to um adjust some things change this thing here and there and um, what i found was something that's been effective for me is doing just exactly that um those training sessions that are very demanding but are very very um similar to how a meet would be conducted very similar meet conditions um it's it's like it's like it always prepares me for the worst, the best or the worst case scenario, because some of those days are a bit tougher, mm. and you have to also auto regulate. Um, and you also have to auto regulate. You, you have to be able to know when to back off. You have to be able to be humble enough to say, "Hey, today it's just not there. I'm not going to go over 495 on squat." Yeah. Um, and and. But did you come up with this yourself? Like, uh, like how did you come about? Do you do, did you do it yourself? And if you did or someone else did, how did you put this together? Because it's kind of shaking things up. Initially, people are like, man, he's almost competing once a week. However, numbers don't lie. What you just put forward in your first 105 debut was like phenomenal. So how did you, uh, you know, because I've never, I haven't seen too much of it before. It's a little bit of uncharted territory. So how did this come about? Mm, I like that uncharted territory. That's right. Yeah, good. So um, you're yeah you're onto the right track. You're, you're very <laughs> clever. Um, so with with that being said, um, this is sort of I guess this method has probably existed. Um, someone has probably tried it before, undoubtedly somebody in the history of lifting. But what I like to do. Um, it's very simple principles and it's very simple like in writing, but it's very difficult to do. And I think that um, most people, most people, majority probably aren't capable of physically doing it just because of how demanding it can be and how difficult it can be. And the risk of injury may be like significantly higher, but the reward is also very high. Um, and that's when the auto-regulation comes in. You have to know when to back off. You have to know those days when you say no. If I put if I put anything more than four or five plates on this squat, it's not going to end well for me. Mm. And then you just don't do it. It's that simple. You're not going to get weaker. You know, you're not going to lose strength. You know, you just have to heal. Um, it it keeps me ready to compete at any time. That's why I've been doing so many meets. Um, I can compete at literally almost any time, like almost any weekend. If I like feel relatively fresh, like if I feel eighty percent or better, I can I can compete and put up a good nineteen plus total that day. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where I wanted to be. And 
I always ask myself how I could get there. And this was sort of a way where I could force it, but I could also regulate it. And it just like happened. I, it was like really, um, no other better way I can explain that. Like it just, it, it just happened. It, and like, um, could anybody else try this? You think like, and try to mimic what you do, or are you like, man, this that would be a mistake? Because you, like, how long would it take you when you're doing all three lifts in the same day and, and you're going so heavy? How long are these training sessions, and how many days a week is this? Um, I only do those training sessions once a week, and they'll last. Um, so the SPD part of it, the squat bench deadlift part of it, not the rest of it, um, just the singles part will usually take between two and three and a half hours. Man, that's a competition. You, that is a competition. Yeah, that's, wow. it's even faster than a competition. Yeah, um, it's usually it's even usually faster paced, and sometimes it'll be very hot where I'm training, where I'll do it, and that'll make it even more difficult. And you know, I mean, it's like over 100 degrees in Texas, and like and you're in like a warehouse gym with no AC. It's like it gets really hot. Um, and like, but after that though, I'll still train for another like three hours or so. So it's a six-hour day. Usually. Holy shit. That is insane. Holy smokes, man. Yeah. How do you... And at the end of... Yeah, I know. At the end of it, I'll usually do, like, PT. Like, I'll usually go run. I'll usually do, you know, some other stuff, too. Like, I'll, I'll do quite a bit. That, And then that Sunday, I'm usually just, like... I'm, like, how I am today. I'm all pale and, like, <laughs> beat up. But um, throughout the week, you know, I, I regulate the volume really well and the weight. I don't go super heavy during the week, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and that... Except for bench. Bench is, like, one of those things where I can just, like, do it, like, every single day. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, but, yeah, you just have to really, you really have to be humble. You really have to be honest with yourself and know your limits. And if you can do that, then you may be able to pull something similar off. But this is, like, kind of a training style that I would not recommend to, like, most people. To anyone less than an advanced lifter, I would probably wouldn't recommend it. Even then, um, even then, it, it sounds, you know, it'd be, I would love to see, like, a blog because I see the posts, and I knew it was some crazy shit going down, but you don't fully see the bigger picture. If you had, like, a blog out, just be like, here is what I'm doing. Here is, like, what a month of what I'm, the weights I'm shifting, the weights I'm doing it, how long my day is. Because um, I'm telling you right now, man, I'm, like, I've ta- I talk to people every week, uh, like, a couple different people every week, constantly. And this is the first time I've ever heard this kind of, like, six-hour days, like, and even just nervous system-wise to not possibly overtrain and start burning out and fatigue it's difficult especially leading into and this is where it's going to be the, the toughest probably for yourself and you probably already know this when it when it's like the nationals or it's the worlds to mm-hmm. stay in the pocket and not get too excited because the weight shifted if it's proper weight like you said all right you, you will you'll survive it but if you get too excited and you're like hey shit rondell hunt is coming hey shit Versus Becky's coming. And you start mm-hmm. telling yourself, I'm going to have to push it a little more this time. That's when it becomes from manageable yeah. to unmanageable. You know, do you yep. have do you have somebody that keeps you honest with all that? Or is it just all yourself right now? Um, there's two people that do that. Um, as far as training goes, I, I structure and do all of my own training. Because um, I'm, I'm one, I'm very honest with myself and very aware of my like limits and capabilities. And I know if I just need a week to just back off and do things easier, then I'll do that. And I'm not afraid to take that week because I know, I know mentally, like it's uh, mentality is a big part of this too. Like you just gotta say yourself, you know, I'm not gonna get weaker like in a week. I'm not gonna lose all my strength. It's not all gonna disappear. 
But back to the two people that help. Um, my friend Christian, uh, Chesnificent. <laughs> His Instagram handle is Chesnificent. He's the really the funny one. Um, he's one guy that actually does that for me. He's also um, brutally honest, and we very, very critically evaluate and assess almost everything I do. Um, and then there's another guy. The second guy is um, someone who did train me for a few years, uh, Gene Bell. Mm. And, um, yeah, Gene Bell, very prominent, very, very prominent powerlifter. Yep. In my eyes, and during, during that era and all eras, he was the best 181 lifter the world has ever seen. No, no other person has ever put up a, a 21, 22, you know, 100 freaking total at 181 pounds in the gear they had back then with like an 848 squat. Like mm-hmm. no one's just done. No one's been able to physically replicate that. And so, um, you know, and that's just that speaks for itself. And those are the two people that are also usually uh, pretty brutally honest and will, you know, tell me, OK, that makes sense. That looks really good. Or they're like, no, that doesn't make sense. Why are you doing that? And then we'll, we'll have our conversation and, you know, our, our philosophical talk about it. And we'll justify things and we'll see what is usually the best route of act, like route to take after that. Mm-hmm. And that, that's usually it's good to have someone there. Like that's like kind of like a checks and balance system, because um, if it's just you entirely by yourself, you're prone to error. You're going to make an error at some point. Um, and that error could cost you, you know. But if you have, you know, another set of eyes looking at what you do, you know, another set of eyes that you could trust. Yeah. Um, and I think that that makes world, world of difference in, in, in powerlifting. And do you set these numbers out like way in advance or is it totally off how last week felt? You're like, all right, these are going to be the numbers for the week coming ahead. Mm. It's a combination of both. It is originally I will take it a four to eight week period and I will plan it out very meticulously, especially for a meet, uh, what exactly what singles I'm going to hit. Um, and the regulation part comes in when, you know, one week I'm maybe not feeling so great or one week I feel phenomenal mm. and, you know, everything just feels way too easy and I'm healthy and I'm strong. Then that day I will usually every once in a blue moon get a little greedy and I'll take it like the 750 squat that day. That was a greedy squat. <laughs> like I probably had no business doing that, but I, I did it anyway um, just because I felt like it was there. And I just wanted to see if the strength was there. And, I, and that was good for me because, one, I didn't get injured. And, two, it gave me the the comp. And I had the confidence that I could do it without getting hurt. And, three, I actually didn't get hurt. Um, and that was a huge mental boost for me, um, squatting going forward. Um, and I think that every now and then in your training, I think that it's good to have that there to spice things up a bit. But um, certainly doing that all of the time, like, oh, I feel great. I'm just going to do a lot. Like, no, like don't do that every session. That's not good. But I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying follow your plan as closely as possible, and a deviation here and there probably won't kill you. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Listen, my man, we had you on here for an hour. Thank you very much. But before I let you go, um, real quick, at the end of 2020, if I talk to you at the end of 2020, what's your resume going to look like? At the end of 2020? That's it. What's your resume looking like? That's a good question. Well, I'm hoping to, well, I won't say hope. Um, I'm planning on having a win, a stab at the Arnold. I'm planning on having a win and stab at the IPF World Championship. And I plan on being a two-peat 105 winner at the uh, 105 at Raw Nationals. There it is. There it is. And over 2,000 total, maybe 2,050. 
if we're, if we're feeling it. And possibly the IPF uh, points all time? Possibly, yeah. At the end of 2020, it might be there. Well, let's, let, we'll pay close attention, my friend. Good luck in training. Uh, keep in touch, obviously. And, Absolutely. Um, I can't wait to watch Raw Nationals, my friend. Thank you for coming it's on the show, exciting. my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. See you. Yeah, that's, a big, that's some crazy numbers. Look, at the 105s, in terms of um, competition-wise, at the U.S. Na- US national level, you have several guys now, two guys coming in there who had won the IPF World Championships and had not lost. Eli right. and, and Bryce Lewis. Bryce Lewis didn't show up at the last Worlds. But there's two guys who are saying, hey, the last time I competed, I was the IPF World Champion. And then you got Garrett Blevins, who has broken the IPF World Record total. You got world-class guys walking in there. Now you throw in Ashton Ruska, who's like, I have the unofficial IPF World Title. Absolutely stacked at the uh, raw national level, let alone when you get to the Worlds. Oh, by the way, Rondell Hunt's waiting for you. Oh, by the way, Emil from Sweden, who, man, the guy's a beast. He's young as hell, and the progress he's making, if he has a 9-for-9 day and gets his last deadlift in, Easily could be right up in the mix and take it. And then versus Becky, who um, he's always one deadlift away from pulling out your win. I don't care where you're at with your subtotal. I don't care what kind of day you piece together. He's always one deadlift away from taking it from anybody. And those guys are outside of the U.S. Raw Nationals. And the U.S. Raw Nationals is already littered with IPF World Champions. It's just, man, the 105s, in terms of raw, yeah, it's going to be nuts, man. In terms of walking in, and I didn't know David Wilson, my man let the cat out of the bag if if Wilson has announced (laughs) it, is thinking moving up to 105. And at 93 kilo, David Wilson had had taken uh, the national title from Ashton, and he's capable. Like, he's Mm -hmm. strong. He's good. So it all depends, man. It's, it's going to be, that's one of the best showdowns for uh, the U.S. Raw Nationals. And then at the world level, if everybody shows up, it's man, that's it. That is it. And it might produce the best lifter champion of champions um, based off like the numbers that we're tossing around here, which is absolutely disgusting numbers. But the proof is in the pudding. So we'll see in Ashton. He's winging. Back us up to his training, like that. Dude, I, I would die. Like I would die. Of, like a lot of people get into like the SVD days, but like that is like taking it to another <laughs> level on a weekly basis, <laughs> yeah. six hours a day. I know when I can beat, man, I'm banged up. Yeah, you know, and that's three, like three hours of just hitting those heavy singles, and then throw another three hours on top of that, mm. and then he'll go for a run. Like, that's when you're a freak athlete, though. Yeah. You know, that's like he said. He's like, man, don't try to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not trying to be cocky here, but if you try to hang with me. It's not for everyone. It's not for it's everyone. For very few people like Ashton. Dude, I think it's just for Ashton. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I don't know if I hurt anyone quite like that. No. Like, that's nuts. That takes I, to another level. I'm not joking when I say I would love to see if he's blogging. On like a daily basis, this is what I did. Oh, I would watch. It'd that. be crazy. I would tune in. Whether it's video blogging, written blogging, just let me see the numbers. Yeah. I see his posts, but I want to see on a day to day to day, like how the shit, like how are you? I, I, I would be. That. Imagine following him around for a camera and watching his training cycle leading into nationals and worlds. Mm-hmm. It'd be crazy, man. And like, what are you eating? Like, how much protein again for like it, recovery? And yeah, it must be nuts. Yeah, yeah, he would like. I was thinking that too in terms of calories that day. Yeah, because what he put out, and then go for six hours of weightlifting, then go for a run. Yeah, 
how many calories you would expend. And so mentally, after that six-hour day, be like, I'm going to go run now. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. And he doesn't need to need to because he's a super light 105. Exactly, because he, he needs to put, like, he needs to put on weight. <laughs> so why is he running? He must be just, hey, man, like I like the feeling of it. Work out the lactic acid. Who knows? Yeah. I'm interested, man. The guy's training is like nothing we have ever seen. The numbers he's putting in competition, like nothing he's ever seen. I want to see him put it together at U.S. Raw Nationals. And it'll be the deepest U.S. Raw Nationals we have ever seen in terms of, like, quality of lifters. And then that world's, oh, man, Mix Belarus is going to be hot. But, uh, but anyways, hope you liked it. Uh, as always, put this in your Instagram stories. We'll reshare it. Give us high ratings. Tell everybody because, uh, man, the, the, the stories we're getting out of these people. And even, like, hearing about the training they put in is mind-boggling. But uh, from Six Pack Lapidat, Kathleen. Caffey Fitness. Caffey Fitness. Peace.